This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Welcome back to Kelly and Company here on AMI-audio. I'm your host for today, Brock Richardson. I'm alongside Danielle McLaughlin as we're filling in for Kelly and Remia as they're doing some uh, TV shooting for the upcoming Kelly and Remia TV show. Uh, If you want to take us on the road, which I sometimes do, you can listen to us on TuneIn Radio, OOTunes. If you've got the new Victor Reader streams, it's already one of the presets on it, which is really convenient when you have it already preset, because then you can just plug in and basically play. You can also get the Radio Player Canada app, which is easy to access as well. If you don't have AMI-audio favorited, you can just type that in as well and push the little heart button, and you are set and ready to go. As I mentioned, I am alongside Danielle McLaughlin. And Danielle, while we wait, well, we're going to have. Sorry, I I was just about to uh, talk to you about uh, something we've been looking at a bit during the week. Um, Environment Minister Stephen Guilbeault is calling out Canada's oil companies for funneling most of their record-breaking profits to shareholders instead of taking action on reducing greenhouse gas emissions. The Environment Minister's comments came as major oil producers began releasing their third quarter earnings. It is at least the third time in the last six months Gilbo's frustration is spilling over as oil company profits soar, but investments in climate action do not. Gilbo says it defies reason for companies not to invest in the climate action that secures their future. A spokesman for the Pathways Alliance, a group of six of Canada's biggest oil sands producers, would not react to the criticism. The group has tentative plans to spend $24 billion over the next eight years on emissions reduction projects, but is looking for more financial help from Ottawa before kicking that into gear. Brenda Molina-Navidad, The Canadian Press. So what do you think about that, Brock? Are you a little frustrated with that too? Yes, I think... I am frustrated with this. You know, we have to look at our environment uh, better than we do, I think. And that's, for me, that's that's where I kind of look at this and say, you know, we need to be better. What about you, Daniel? Well, I, um, I find it troubling uh, because I think that there's a lot of talk about how wonderful everything is. And then they turn around and do something like that. So, yeah. <laughs> yes. It just sometimes you just have to shake your head. One of the things we're shaking our head in positivity is that we have Fern Lollam. Let's have a chat with Fern Lollam, our bestie from the UK. What's on your mind? I'm Fern Lollam from the UK, and whether serious, silly, or somewhere in between, I've got you covered. Let's face it, the most effective therapy is a chat with your bestie. Today we're talking about figures. Uh, published by the UK Office for National Statistics, or ONS, about disabilities in the UK. Fern, this is a great topic. Welcome to the program, as always. 
Yes, thank you very much, Brock. It's lovely to be here. And the ONS is the UK's largest independent producer of official statistics. So their findings tend to be taken pretty seriously. So it'll be interesting to see what they've got to say. Yes, well, it is. And I'm looking forward to the conversation. With that said, where are we going to begin? Well, I'm going to start with education, because for many people, that can be a huge factor in shaping your life. And it's certainly true in my case, because I doubt I'd be on your show today if I hadn't been to university to learn all about broadcasting. And I hope it shows. <laughs> Absolutely. And it, it also helps people to understand what their choices might be that they didn't know existed before they had mm -hmm. that education. So mm -hmm. important. But what does uh, ONS have to say about the uh, ability for people with disabilities to get education? Well, only a quarter of disabled people aged 21 to 64 have a degree or equivalent as their highest qualification. Now, this compares to nearly 43% of non-disabled people. So quite a huge discrepancy there. That is quite a gap for sure. In fact, that means disabled individuals are a little more than half as likely qualified at that level. Yeah, yeah. So they're, they're like half as likely to even have a degree or, or anything like that. So also disabled people are three times as likely to have no qualifications than non-disabled people. It's just amazing the difference. That's really troubling. Um, what do you think the reasons are for this discrepancy? Well, I guess there are lots of reasons, as with most things. Mm -hmm. However, many parents do complain that their disabled children are just not given the adjustments that they need to access the school curriculum. So it's just that they're not able to get that education. Yeah, I, um, I hope it's a bit of a different answer, but is the same true for uh, university education? Sadly, it does seem to be the, the same case. I mean, I see lots of complaints from disabled UK students about problems in getting reasonable adjustments. And in the worst cases, some people just say that they've just had to let, leave the course because they just can't carry on. Oh, how disappointing. You know, it must be mm. that you look so forward to it and then you just don't yeah. have the accommodation. That's Yeah, really, absolutely. Really and a huge hit to your self-esteem as well. Absolutely. And obviously, it, it will have a terrible impact on the employment prospects of, of, of people who started out and then were unable to continue. Exactly, Danielle. Yeah, that's completely right. And that brings me to my next set of figures. So I'm afraid that also, just like the others, they don't make for great reading either. Yeah. And so what are the employment figures telling us specifically? Well, between July and September 2021, only 53% of disabled people were in work compared to just over 80% of non-disabled people. That's quite shocking. It's a, a you know, a, a huge gap. I mean, we've talked about education barriers, but clearly there are other barriers in addition to that. What other reasons do you think could account for such a huge difference in, in the employment? 
Mm, I think some employers worry that disabled people won't be able to do the work just because, you know, based on misconceptions or myths or preconceptions. Um, and I think also that they worry about the cost. Um, they think that it might cost them a lot of money to make the adjustments that people might need. Um, and this is often not the case at all, of course. We know that I think better disability awareness would just break down some of those barriers and make people more aware that th those things aren't the big worry that people might think they are. Mm -hmm. who, who do you the, think should be responsible for making employers aware of, of you know, their their false information or, or their lack of understanding? Well, I just I just think in in general, it needs to be that they have better disability awareness training. So either they're, they're hiring people in or they have people in within the organization that know about these things that just can open people's eyes. Because to be fair, if you've never experienced disability, of course you're gonna have all, all kinds of ideas that aren't right. And that just needs to be straightened out really. Mm -hmm. Does, do the statistics indicate that the type of disability has a bearing on employment? Yeah, they suggest that only 26% of people with severe or specific learning difficulties are in employment. And towards the other end of the scale, 63% of people with hearing difficulties are in employment. Hmm, that's fascinating. Wow. So, uh, you know, this is a... Uh... This is a huge distinction. Um, there's lots to be done on leveling up on employment, but what about other aspects of life? Yeah, so um, basically there, there are a lot of aspects that are impacted um, and I think you know there are lots of there are lots of di different disabilities that that make a lot of different um, a difference you know with that. Um, so there are some there is some figures here about visual impairment and this category has been called difficulty in seeing. So it covers a broad range of eye conditions. Um, mm -hmm. However, it still shows that only forty eight percent of people with sight loss are in employment um, and figures quoted by the UK sight loss charity suggest that this falls to just 27% for those registered blind or partially sighted. So it's just crazy just to stick with work for a second for people who don't have a lot of sight. They're just finding it so hard to get into work. And that... Sorry, go that... ahead, Brock. I was just shocked at the, the, the huge mm. numbers. That goes into, you know, what we talked about in the above is that, you know, I think that the type of disability employers look at that and say, well, this is going to create a barrier because the individual has sight loss. How are they going to get around the office, et cetera? And, and it's just so far from not the truth. You know, we can all work, you know, um, and, and that's just the way it is. Th this is a these. That's really big difference with these statistics. How do the figures shape up with previous figures then? Yeah, so so as you mentioned, Danielle, there's there are other aspects of life that it does affect, of course. And I was interested in figures on loneliness as well. And those mm. show that just over 15% of disabled people feel lonely often or always compared to just 3% uh, 3.6%, sorry, of non-disabled people. So again, a massive difference. Um, and it just shows that the gap is, it seems to be getting bigger. So in 2014, the figure was that 10.9% um, for disabled people and 3.5% for non-disabled people um, 
were, you know, so it, it, there's a huge difference. So loneliness has gone up quite a lot since then. Um, and there are a lot of disabled people who, uh, you know, it, it seems to have stayed the same for them, whereas with non-disabled people, loneliness seems to improve. So it's it's very difficult because it doesn't seem like much is changing for the disabled people. Do you think the pandemic has something uh, to say about this? Is it, is it involved in, in some of these statistics, in your opinion? Yeah, I think quite possibly it is. Um, so many disabled people were advised to shield, as we know, during the pandemic. And in many cases, this led to feelings of loneliness and isolation. As you can imagine, if you have to stay at home and nobody can come and see you, you're going to feel very, very lonely. Yeah, for sure. And... Obviously, you know, uh, loneliness figures were higher uh, for disabled people bef before, during the pandemic. But do you believe there are other factors at play here? Yeah, I I do think there are. I think the highest rates of unemployment is one of those factors. Um, and I just think that that in itself can make you feel so isolated and lonely if, if you don't have a job and you don't have somewhere to go or people to be around every day. That's for sure. Now, does this vary according to the age of people? Different age groups have different statistics? Um, well, I, yeah, I I didn't. Um, so the biggest difference, I suppose, is that the 35 to 44 age group were around 57% of disabled people experience um, antisocial behavior compared to 43% of non-disabled people. So again, there's a massive gap there but it is it seems to be in that mid range the 35 to 44 age group which actually is sort of the range that we think of as not maybe having as much support as the you know the younger kids or the older adults who might have sight loss or, or other disabilities time is uh running out on us but i just want to get your last feeling on this what do you think people in general should take away from all of what we've said during this segment well, I I just think it's it's so saddening to see these differences in figures. And I do think that disability awareness is such a big part of, of what makes the difference. I think disability needs to be looked at holistically. So from everything from habilitation when you're young to right through every stage of life to showing that there's not just one thing that can cure everything, but it really takes that holistic approach to make people feel better about themselves, less isolated, less vulnerable, and that they can do a job and be good at it and so we just really need to keep pushing that disability awareness and educating people i completely agree fern thank you so much for bringing this to us great topic as always thank you brock have a lovely show that was fern lollum who joins us every other week for highlights from the uk stay tuned as we learn about a trade show coming up next everything from adaptive sports and technology coming up next right here on kelly and company stay with us Hi, I'm Jenny Bovard. Join me monthly for Low Vision Moments, where I speak with awesome guests about some of the amusing things that happen when you're blind or partially sighted. Watch on YouTube or download Low Vision Moments from your favorite podcast distributor.